Welcome to Desks and Dusters, PBJ Cleaning Depot's very own podcast. We are going to have so much fun on this adventure together. We are going to talk to our reps. We are going to talk to my fellow employees. And we're going to see what's going on right here in our own community. Hey, everybody. What is going on? Welcome to another episode of Desks and Dusters. It is episode 26, and the date is March 24th of 2021. We're going to start our show off with a little different uh, bit. Usually our show starts off exactly how you just heard it. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Me checking in on you guys. What's the date? What's the topic? What episode are we on? Now we're going to add a little bit different. We are going to add a land acknowledgement to the top of our show as well. Why? A, it's the right thing to do. B, I'm native. C, my show, my rules. So let's dive in, shall we? Anishinaabawaki. That is the territory we are on, Mississauga of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations in Ottawa land. Now, I didn't say Ottawa, I said Ottawa, O-D-A-W-A land. Now, you learned something new today, something you should have learned in your history class. Now, if you are not here in North Perth, you are not part of this area of Southern Ontario, even parts of Minto are on the same land acknowledgement as we are, all you have to do is text 907-312-5085 to find out what land you are on. Now we're going to dive right into the episode today, you guys, because I don't want to waste any time of you having to listen to me because we have a fabulous guest, a guest that I am very proud to not only call one of my inspirations and idols in life when it comes to my mental health journey and when it comes to my journey of my dream of being a sports broadcaster one day and working in sports media, but someone I'm also happy to be able and proud to call a friend. Someone who is the reason I had inspiration and a means to get help for mental health on my journey. Somebody who invited me to a taping of the show they once hosted on TSN, which is one of the longest running talk shows in Canada. Somebody who is now on TSN radio, but zip the lips, Caitlin, you've already said too much. We're going to dive right in. Here we go. All right, our guest today has been at TSN since the very beginning. He has been at the sports desk. He had his own show. And now he's on TSN radio with Carlo Koliakovo. So, hey, Landsberg, what's going on? Hey. Well, hey, Landsberg happens to be my my Twitter handle, which I think is kind of, I kind of really like it. I kind of sums up how I think people should talk to me, right? Like, you know, that feeling of familiarity, that feeling of being casual, uh, and that feeling of, you know, hey, Landsberg, I just just like it. So, uh, Kilgore, how you doing? You know what? I've been called Kilgore since I was nine years old, so that's awesome. And that's the same for me. It's it's kind of just more casual and, it, and I, you're the kind of person that obviously I've reached out to in the past and because of your Twitter handle and stuff like that I've had that feeling that you're just someone that's more casual I could reach out to and talk to so thank you for that uh well uh thank you for acknowledging that but 
you know, it, it kind of just sums up everything about me. Right. And, you know, professionally, I was always never the formal guy. Uh, and when it comes to mental health, you know, like like the only real cards I have to play are that I am somebody that people can relate to. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. Um, you know, there is my 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 one thing that I can do is I can talk about what mental illness feels like from the inside out. Uh, and as a result, if you're going to be formal doing that, then you're going to miss out on most of the good stuff. So, um, hey, Landsberg, it is. Perfect. So. You're now on TSN radio with Mr. Carlo Koliakovo, and we obviously know you for your mental health advocacy. Where's the balance in all that? Um, I, I think that the balance is in, at least to some extent, one feeds the other in that, you know, because of my career on TSN, uh, whatever it was I was doing uh, and am doing, it gives you um, platforms available to you and stages available to you that, that you know, you wouldn't normally get, right? Like, as, as I have said as recently as yesterday, when I was giving a talk to a whole bunch of safety folks in, uh, in Atlanta, Canada, I said, you know, like, like I, I'll do anything different than what many people could do. I'm just um, a, a couple of things. A, I have platforms available to me because of my career, um, but also B, because I am a professional talker. It's all I've done with my life really is, is talk. I am um, more, it's easier for me to take what I have inside and get it outside and to express myself uh, in ways that other people may find it difficult because they're not as comfortable with the sound of their own voice and with the idea of, uh, of sharing. And the deeper you go when it comes to mental health, the more effective you are. If you leave nothing, if there's no secrets between you and the person you're talking to, whether it would be this interview or whether it would be you calling me up to talk about your own mental health afterwards, regardless of what form it's in, the more raw and open I am, the more effective I can be. That's so true. And it is very true because I see your tweets I read them and I, and your honesty is what led me to get help. When I was an intern at TSN, I was doing an editing of one of your interviews and you were talking about different things. What, what a day in the life of Michael Landsberg is with anxiety and depression. And that was the first time I went, Oh my God, wait, that that's me. So, and that's where I kind of the sick, not weak comes into play. I went, wait a minute. I'm not weaker than everyone else. Like I've been telling myself, I'm actually sick. So you're kind of like the father of sick, not weak in that sort of platform. So thank you for that and reaching out in that sense as well. So with everything else you've done, where does sick, not weak come into play? And where did the kind of mindset behind those two words get into that? You know, first of all, I'm going back to what you said um, when you said the, that's me. Um, that is, you know, one of my goals. Um, and I said this yesterday, you know, I've made reference to the speech now twice. Um, I'll have to make reference to another speech. Otherwise, it sounds like the only speech I've ever given was yesterday. And that's not true. Um, but, you know, I said there's I'm speaking to a couple of people, a couple of groups of people. And one of the groups of people that I'm talking to are people that don't know that they're actually battling something, because sometimes, first of all, you assume whatever is in your head is in other people's heads. Second of all, you've never lived in anyone else's head to know that 
that what you're experiencing is not normal. And third of all, what we experience when it comes to something like depression or anxiety can happen so slowly and it becomes part of us that we don't know that we've changed. So sometimes when you give a talk and that would be no different than what I'm doing right now, and you talk about how depression feels, you can talk about it and people will react with, I, it kind of sounds like me. I never thought of it like that. You know, I never thought, oh my gosh, you know, maybe I have a mental health challenge. And, you know, it's, it's not like I'm one of those people that believes that everybody has a mental illness because this is what I talk about. It's still, um, you know, it's still the minority of people, but sometimes people need to find out, you know, there's somebody who's had a diagnosis of mental illness and this is how they feel. And if that's how you feel, there's a pretty good chance that, you know, you need to go for help and that you can go for help and that there is help. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I can attest to the fact that you have done more than one talk than just the one you did yesterday. I attended one a couple of years ago, it was put on by Ben Finelli, and Jen Hedger was uh, your guest as well. What's it like working with someone as amazing as Jen? Um, you know, Jen is, is particularly amazing. Um, Jen is somebody who has a huge amount of uh, broadcast talent. Uh, you know, has a huge amount of personality. She's, you know, everything that you would want in a broadcaster. Um, but also, you know, Jen is a person that has been debilitated by depression uh, and has fought it on a constant basis for a lot of her life. And because she is, you know, such a, such a, a dynamite personality um, that she has the ability to convey that, you know, her dynamism or dynamoism or whatever the word is, um, but also, you know, the pain that she experiences and the contrast between Jen on air, Jen being dynamic, Jen being entertaining, Jen being charming, the contrast between that and Jen talking about her illness are really what explains to people how bad this illness can be. And Jen is a great example of somebody who you would go, no, no, not you. Mm -hmm. And then she might go, yeah, me. And you go, no, come on, no way, no way, not you. And I think people like that, uh, are the people that are the best spokespeople for something like depression, because you don't look depressed, you don't sound depressed. And the proof, uh, and what that proves is that, you know, depression doesn't have one face, doesn't have one look, doesn't have one sound. And all of us with depression get really good at faking it. So you may watch Jen Hedger every single night. Mm -hmm. uh, and you may have no idea what she's battling. And that is a really important thing for people to understand, A, that you may be just like Jen Hedger, but B, you may really care about someone who has, um, who has no visible signs of, of struggling, yet maybe they are. Because if she could fool you, then maybe your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your sister or your brother or your parent, I could probably go on a long time with different relationships, but I'm not sure I haven't made my point yet. So I, I think that uh, Jen is, is great uh, and absolutely, you know, for me, one of the most impactful people that I've ever met when it comes to talking about mental health. There's no one that uh, if I was lining up an event that I, I could say, okay, well, we should get this person to talk. There's no one who I would put ahead of her. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, obviously, as a female who wants to get into the sports broadcasting industry still one day, women like Jen are such role models. And to see there instead every day and then to go hear her talk and hear the other side and go, Jen, I get it. 
but to be able to do that, like it's so empowering. And then, you know, I've been able to meet people like Kate Furness and Natasha, Jen Botterill, Cassie Campbell and stuff like that too. I've been able to meet all these greats and they've all worked with you or been able to sit down on your show. What is it like working with past athletes that have performed at the Olympics and stuff like that, that are breaking into sports media? Uh, I, uh, I have had that opportunity, uh, including that opportunity with Jen Hedger um, <clears throat> or in the, uh, I guess it would have been, I'm trying to remember what year it would have been. I'm just going to throw this off the top of my head. 2002, uh, Jen Hedger was on a show called The Lofters. Um, the Lofters was a reality show where they had cameras in a house and they then they they taped or they went live with this group of 10, 12 people in this house all the time. And it was uh, we as we were apt to do on Off the Record, we were always looking for new, fresh guests. And um, we they reached out to us and they said, hey, we got a guest that we'd like to put on Off the Record. Uh, and we put one of their guests on. I don't remember who it was. They were OK. And then they said, uh, hey, we have somebody else. Jen Hedge was her name. And, you know, I, I, I did, didn't know her at the time. And after she was on off the record, I went immediately upstairs to, um, to management, uh, to a guy's office named Keith Pelly, who became one of the most powerful people in Canadian television and now runs the European golf tour. I knocked on his door and said, you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta uh, talk to Jen Hedger. I mean, this is like, you, you haven't met somebody that has her, her baseline of knowledge, her energy, uh, and her ability to charm people, um, by, you know, it, by using the camera, I said, you know, like she's, she's going to be a star and, uh, and she became a star and, and, you know, like sometimes she'll say, oh, you know, she'll thank me. And I say, you know, like I, I didn't do anything really other than tell people, look at this amazing person. It was you that was amazing, not me. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I, I take a lot of pride in what she did, but I take no credit at all for what she did um, because, you know, we, we did, uh, you know, 3,900 shows of off the record. So you're talking about thousands of people had the chance to do what she did, but only maybe a dozen were able to launch their careers based on what they did on off the record. And she was one of them. That's awesome. Now, when you were on off the record, one of my favorite things that I looking back with your mental health and everything, you weren't afraid to get into the corner, ask the tough questions, interrupt people, say, hey, no. Yeah. You had some big people on your show. Like you had wrestlers, you had The Rock. Were you ever scared that they might put you into a headlock at one point? No, um, for a couple of reasons. That's a, that's a great question uh, and a reasonable question. I would answer that probably in four different ways. Number one, I remember uh, repeatedly telling the control room, the producer and the director in particular, if someone ever does physically confront me, do not worry about protecting me. Only worry about making sure it gets recorded. Can you imagine, you know, the rock jumps across and punches you and you go, oh, oh my God, that was like that. That was really painful. But you're on the wrong oh, camera show and yeah and they go ah we didn't we didn't record it so that would be number one number two you know most most people not all but most people um, you know respected me for doing my job they respected the fact that I was um, you know was always well researched that especially wrestlers I mean they lined up to come on our show because of the crew that worked on the show and the preparation that they helped me and in many cases gave me that people felt respected uh, and you know and the third thing is that um, 
I've talked my way out of many a difficult situation. So uh, I always kind of relied on the fact that, yeah, you know, I could probably, there was one guy who was an amateur wrestler who was in the Olympics. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, and man, I was like, I was probably poking fun at him because of his answers. I don't remember. I was probably being a bit of a smart ass. Well, I'm sure I was being a smart ass. And, you know, most people take it. Uh, and give it back to me, right? I mean, that's the thing I've always sort of hung my hat on as a broadcaster is that, or just as a person, as a friend, as family, is that I can dish it out, but I can take it too. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing you can say to me that would offend me. Yeah. Um, but this guy, man, I could just see him looking at me. And I thought, oh my God, he wants to hit me. Now, I don't think he will hit me, but he clearly wants to hit me. And I thought, okay, well, this, you know, this would be interesting. I, I don't want to get hit, but also, I mean, that would go like viral all over the whole world. So um, I did think about that at the time. And I think I bumped into him a couple of years ago and I mentioned that. And he, I think he said something like, oh yeah, I wanted to kill you for sure. Um, we laughed at it, right? But, you know, people tend to People tend to respect you if they think that you work hard at your job, if you work hard to prepare. And if, uh, you know, if you can dish it out, you better be able to take it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I've kind of always prodded myself on the fact that I can I can take it like like um, Kilgore. You could say anything to me, um, you know, like in a smart ass way. Uh, and there's nothing you could say that that would bother me. I heard everything about me and none of it bothered me. Right. Because. I know who I am. You know, people called me arrogant every day of my broadcast life. And, uh, and I never cared because I always knew, like, I, actually, that's the last thing I am. You know, I've never acted superior to anyone. I've never been, I've actually, I don't think I've ever been rude to a single human being. So when people would, would uh, tweet about how arrogant I was and how much they disliked me because of that, I just kind of laughed at it and thought, hey, it's good. As long as they know me, that's, that's a good thing. That's awesome. If you can dish it, you got to be able to take it as well. I mean, it's a two-way street. So that's awesome. That's obviously one of your most intimidating guests <clears throat> that you've ever had. When you were on Off the Record, was there any person that was sitting across from you or that you were doing a video interview with that you kind of just went, ooh, I can't believe that I'm, I'm having a conversation with this person right now? I think the, uh, the first person that I had... Um, I kind of looked at it like, so this is what was going on in my head. Uh, and I remember because I, I said something really smart assy to him in, uh, in the makeup room. And I thought, wow, I just proved something to myself. And it was Vince McMahon. Uh, Vince McMahon, whom everybody knows as the highly intimidating head of the uh, WWE, right? Uh, and I thought to myself, I was able to be myself around him. Uh, and, and I don't have any remembrance or any memory of what I said to him, but it was kind of like a, a tongue in cheek insult, which is, you know, kind of what, what I do. Right. And I thought, wow, that really proves something to myself that I actually was not intimidated by him, that I could be myself around him, which is key. I mean, we're all different people. Yeah. You are a different person, obviously, a different broadcaster than me. So the key is you, not for you to be able to be a smart ass around Vince McMahon. The key is for you as the interviewer to be able to be you around Vince McMahon. And whatever that means for you, Caitlin, um, if you can be 100% you, then you can 
do your job. If you can be 95% you, you can do your job. But if, if you're only 50% you because you're intimidated or because you're afraid of that person, then um, you can't do your job. And you, I mean, you can do your job, but you can't do the best you that you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. That'd be my biggest problem is, you know, girls throw themselves at Justin Bieber and go crazy. And I look at him like, hey, there's a human being who breathes air every day like me. But if you put superior athletes in front of me and different broadcasters, then it goes, ooh, because those are the people I idolize in life. So that, for me, looking at everyone you've had, I, there would be so many people that I'd go, okay, I just need to take a breath, count to 10, and we're good to go. Right. But there's something that, uh, that I, can, I can teach you uh, about that. And, and the first thing is that you are the host, right? So you have uh, home field, home court, home ice advantage. So they have come into your environment, whether it's in the studio or whether it's by satellite or whether it's by Zoom, however it is, you know, like they're, you're, you're in control of this. And that's, that's a huge thing to remember that you actually control this, that they are there to answer questions from you. And that should give you a feeling, not of superiority, but of your, of your position in this relationship with this guest. And it can really ha- help with, you know, with Vince McMahon, or it could really help with, you know, Cassie Campbell and people that you're talking about and Haley Wickenheiser, people that you're talking about that might intimidate you. If you realize that they are looking, they're waiting for you to ask the question. So they're looking at the camera thinking, or they're looking at your face that can be really empowering for you to realize that they've come into your world and you've got to, you've got to take advantage of the fact that they're in your world. You have to, you have to work really hard to be comfortable in your world. And you do that by reminding yourself, Hey, this is, you know, like, like this is my studio. They walked in here and I have the advantage and that can be a huge advantage, but it can also work against you because people don't forget if you are intimidated by some people, there's a pretty good chance that some people will be intimidated by you and intimidated by the format and be intimidated by the fact that they're appearing on camera and worried about maybe what you're going to ask. And while you want a guest to respect you, you don't want a guest to be intimidated by you. So what I found was that I had to become different people to different guests. Mm -hmm. And if a guest came in and I thought, wow, you know, they're really kind of nervous. You know, this was uh, an actor or a singer or a politician, someone who uh, we put on OTR because of their fame, not because of their sports knowledge. And they're really worried about how they're going to come across. You know, I, I got to show this person that I got their back. And I remember saying it a million times, look, I got your back. No matter what you say, no matter what you say on this show, I will not criticize you for it. I will not, I will not, I will not challenge you on it because I can tell that you're not comfortable with this. So I got your back. So I'm going to promise you that nothing bad can happen over the next half hour. And, you know, that's an important thing to do for some people. And similarly, if you have a guest that's super cocky, you need to show that guest that you can be as cocky as them, uh, in particular with American guests who, you know, who would come in and go, hey, it's Canadian TV. You know, I, I can mail this in and you want to show them that, hey, if you mail this in, I'm going to look a lot better than you're going to look. So you better bring your A game. So I think it's about, uh, you know, I think it's about like hosting a party and you act as a host in different ways to different guests, right? People walk in who you know better than others. You try to make people comfortable, whatever that means. That's great advice. Thank you. Now you've spent years, I won't say how many years, working in sports media with TSN. We all know that there's, I've 
been able to be in the studio, behind the scenes stories, funny things like that. Do you have any of those kind of stories that you'd be willing to share? Do I have any stories, Caitlin? Uh, first of all, I, I, I'd share almost anything, right? You know, the, here's the thing. When you're a mental health sharer and you're willing to tell people about your loss of self-esteem on a bad day and how, you know, you can get in front of a crowd and really believe that you're incapable of giving anything to that crowd. Um, you know, if you're willing to share that kind of uh that kind of struggle, then chances are there's not much that you won't talk about, right? So I, uh, I give me an example. Give me, um, uh, ask me a question. I'll give you a good story for it. Could be anything. So when I was an intern at with Bell Media, I got to go down to TSN one day, and Kate Burness was doing the news and uh, for sports, and she sat down in the chair, and it immediately went poof right down to the floor. And the first thing she said was, "I bet it was Jay or Dan." So are there little pranks that go on? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a million of those things. I mean, I used to hope that things would go wrong. And sometimes I would plan for them to go wrong because that whatever goes wrong spontaneously is an opportunity for you to spontaneously react. I mean, if 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 you and I were talking career again, as we were before, and you were saying, ah, you know, I really want to do what, um, what Jen Hatcher does. I really want to do a show like SportsCenter. I, I would say that you will screw up, right? Everybody oh, screws 100%. up, especially especially when you know you're doing live highlights for a half hour an hour uh and all of the all of the elements that go into a show like that you are going to make mistakes and you have to decide is that mistake something that you're going to be embarrassed about and try to move quickly from it or are you going to embrace it and say this is a really good chance for me to look human and for me to poke fun at myself and for me to have fun so i used to look at all the things that could go wrong and think this is you know like this is great i hope that happens uh and i mean you know we all make mistakes the only way a mistake can look really bad on television or radio is if you sound like you're bugged by it. Mm-hmm. If you go, oh, you know, I'm so sorry that that was, uh, you know, that was uh, that was not the Blue Jays highlights. I don't know what I was like. Then people go, got her or yeah. him. But if you roll with it and go, hey, wow, I can tell the difference between baseball and hockey. You know, that's how you get a job like I've got here at TSN. Yeah. You know, then people kind of smile and you move on. Exactly. Now. Speaking of problems and things like that, what is going on in the world of Toronto sports right now, especially with the Raptors? We know that there is a trade coming. What should the Raptors be looking for in this sense of a trade? What do they need to improve on right now? You know, I think their needs are pretty much across the board, right? I, I kind of see them. We debated this uh, this morning. What is the correct word for what the Raptors need to do? You know, is rebuild? Is that too strong? Um, or is that accurate? You know, is it a reload, rejig, re, uh, re-energize, whatever it is? I, I mean, I kind of think it's almost a rebuild, right? They have a couple of really, um, they have a couple of components, like Fred Van Fleet's a good player, but he's maybe not even a top 10 point guard in the NBA. So if he's your best player, what does that say? Pascal Siakam, you know, was a second team all-star last year before the pandemic. Pascal Siakam hasn't been anywhere near that since then. So what is Pascal Siakam at this point? He's a guy who's hoping to get it back. Uh, and OG Ananobi is, is a good role player. Um, so that's what they have right now. I mean, Kyle Lowry and Norm, Norm Powell, assuming that those guys are now um, potentially going to be dealt Um, So they need a lot. They need a lot. They need to really start from, not from scratch, 
but they need to be looking at this and saying, okay, we need a whole bunch of elements and maybe we need to take a couple of steps back so we can take 10 steps forward because my God, you know, what it'd be like Orlando. How long has Orlando been trying to be, you know, a, a, a top team in the NBA? I mean, it can go on for 10 years. If you try to just patch what you've got, sometimes you just delay the inevitable, which is, you know, you got to suck it up and you got to feel pain now for future excellence. Similar to kind of what the Jays are doing with all the trades and pickups that they've made. They're looking towards the future. They're going with the younger roster. They're looking to build up. But does the Jays pitching for this season have what it takes to get them into the playoffs? Uh, well, I guess, uh, I, I mean, I would say probably not. I mean, part of that was uh, the question, how many teams are going to be allowed in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Because that is still not 100% sure. If they were, if they went to the expanded playoffs like they did last year, then, you know, I, I would think the Jays would make the playoffs. I mean, mm-hmm. they made the playoffs last year, right? So, um, although they showed that they were in way over their heads playing Tampa. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I think what they missed, though, was they lost the key components that allowed them to knock on the World Series door uh, five years ago, six years ago. Um, they had all of these really great players and most of them, they lost for nothing. Right. They you know, they they waited too long. And by the time they had waited, players either left for free agency or their trade appeal was so much less than it would have been. So here's here's an example of a team that was really good, but didn't acknowledge the fact that the end was coming pretty soon. And they let the end happen to it as opposed to uh, saying, I'm, we're going to embrace it. You know, we know we've got to rebuild. We've got to reload. No one's going to want to see Jose Batista traded. But, you know, he's yeah. not the player that he was. And we need to get something back for him, um, which is, you know, something that the Raptors run uh, the risk of not getting assets back for assets. I mean, Kawhi wasn't their fault, right? I mean, they wanted to re-sign Kawhi Leonard, obviously. But, you know, Danny Green left and they didn't get anything for him. And Serge Ibaka left and they didn't get anything. And Marcus Gasol left and they didn't get anything. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that those, if they would have traded those players, they would have gotten great things, but they got nothing for any of them. So now Kyle Lowry is a free agent at the end of the year. Are, are you going to lose him at the end of the year? Maybe you want to lose him at the end of the yeah. year, but you better get something for him now. Norm Powell's a free agent. He's probably going to get $20 million. I don't think the Raps want to pay him $20 million. So now you could potentially lose the four players I just said, plus Kyle Lowry, plus Norm Powell, you know, six key components to the team that won the championship and get nothing back for them. Yikes. Exactly. Now, I also like to be kind of hard on the Leafs. I don't know if you know this or remember this. The Leafs playoffs 2017 playing the Washington Capitals game six. I was outside in Maple Leaf Square, and Marcus Johansson scores the overtime winner goal, sends Caps all the way to round two, who's Pittsburgh, of course. And there were two crazy Washington Capitol fans, two girls going crazy in Maple Leaf Square. I was one of those girls. So Toronto doesn't like me very, very much, but I'm actually enjoying watching Toronto actually start to succeed and have some success with their teams. But however, if we ha- see an early exit or a bad playoff performance, is this the end of Dubis? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I've asked that question. And, you know, when you hear somebody else ask it, you get a perspective on it. And, you know, I, I think that that's probably slightly 
I won't say negative, but pessimistic. I mean, I, I like the Leafs. I like the team that he's built. I like the adjustments that he's yeah. made. You know, I, I think that he has listened to what people, you know, in the media, like me and Carlo have been saying, which is, you know, you you, you got a team filled with players that have, uh, we're well, not filled, but you have some really talented pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, ultimately the teams that make it in the playoffs are teams that have uh, really talented pieces, but also have them surrounded by players that can, that can win 16 games in the postseason. And those, those guys are really hard to find who have the mental and physical toughness to do it. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if they were to miss the playoffs, that would be a disaster for Kyle Dubas. If they were to lose in the first round, uh, I, I, I mean, I guess it depends who they play. Like if they played the Winnipeg Jets in the first round, uh, you know, can we sit here and say, hey, I'd fire Dubas if they don't beat the Jets? The Jets are a good team. Like, yeah. like why would we necessarily assume that the Maple Leafs should beat the Jets? Um, but having said that, you know, the door is wide open this year to a run that may never happen again, where they don't have to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning or any other teams that, you know, have been such a problem for them over the last, you know, three, four years, you know, the Bruins twice. Uh, and, you know, they've avoided Tampa, but they probably would have gotten killed by Tampa. So this year kind of looks like things are lining up. It's a really weird year with everything, the way the divisions are set, who's playing who. I think I'm actually loving this Canadian division mainly because I don't get to watch a lot of the Canadian teams. I'm a Capitals fan. So that's where my division's at. But I think this is great for Canadian sports, uh, getting to battle these teams more and more. You get to see and learn about them a lot more as well. Um, But I think everyone's getting a little anxious to get back to normal as well and, and, and watch their teams because when you're only playing that one division, you hear, well, how good really is the North division then when you're not being able to compare them because they're not playing each other at the same time. So when that comes into play at the end towards the playoffs, we might see a team like least dominate over someone we don't expect or can completely go the other way and they're going to tank. Yeah. There's, there's way more mystery here. I mean, uh, the third round of the playoffs, the conference finals, um, you know, whoever wins the North division, uh, whoever wins the first two rounds in advances is going to play a team that they haven't seen in more than a year. Right. And that, that mystery is actually, you know, is a really good thing for sports. You know, this, I have no idea how this is going to play out and, you know, are there, is there a downside to it? Yeah. You know, like it gets a bit tedious, you know, playing, you know, the same teams over and over again, you know, I, I mean, there's certainly the desire as a fan to see, you know, different teams from different divisions. And, you know, that means different players, but um, you know, the upside is that you develop these rivalries and, you know, this, this intensity that comes from playing the same team from bumping into the same guy, three night, three nights out of five, you know, that can really increase the intensity. Uh, and it also creates this mystery. I have no idea, you know, I, like, I don't know hockey nearly well enough. And I don't believe most people know hockey nearly well enough to be able to say, well, um, you know, the North division, uh, you know, winner is going to have a really tough time against this winner because the North division isn't as good as this. When you don't play against each other, it's really hard to know who's better and who's worse. Mm -hmm. Now, my last Mm -hmm. question for you is we saw a little, um, Something we learn in broadcasting is always act as if your mic is hot. 
And apparently that message didn't get sent out to all NHL referees last night. What kind of damage control are we looking at with a comment like that when there's so much criticism on the inconsistency of officiating in the National Hockey League? You know, I mean, that became a huge issue. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, Tim Peel was the referee and the NHL not long ago, I mean, I'm talking about <clears throat> maybe an hour ago, um, decided that he wouldn't ref anymore in the NHL. Now, he was uh, supposed to be retiring at the end of the year. So, you know, like this punishment is 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 not like, you know, they, they fired him. Um, really I guess retired. they did. Right. But it's, you know, it's kind of somewhere in between. And, you know, it's harsh. I mean, the problem is that there's things that go on that people are okay with them going on, like the whole idea of an even up. I mean, if you're a ref and you go, oh, God, I just made a terrible call. Um, I realized it because, you know, I saw it on the screen or I realized it when, you know, players who I respect came to me, uh, you know, two seconds afterwards and said, you blew that call. You know, I, I think most of us are okay with the concept that maybe should the circumstance present itself that uh, a referee might think, okay, well, I need to even this up, not make up a penalty, but call a similarly weak offense against the team that I penalized. And, you know, most of us are, or many of us are okay with that, right? But there's things in life that we're all okay with that we don't say out loud, because when you say it out loud, it opens the door to all kinds of questions. And it gives this terrible appearance to, to fans of hockey, you know, going, I, that ref was just talking. He, he, he made a call that was kind of cheap and he did it because, and he never actually finished what, what he was saying. So we're not a hundred percent sure, but you know, I, I, I mean, would I have fired him? Absolutely not. You know, would I have disciplined if I, if I would disciplined him, if I was the NHL? Yeah. I, you know, I think I probably would have, but I would have been lenient knowing that that's what the job calls for. It calls for a certain amount of um, diplomacy where you know that you have a job to try at the end of the game for people to say, wow, that was a really well reft game. There was no side that was favored. Yeah. And sometimes that means you gotta, you gotta, even things up. So I, I, I think that they were too harsh on him. Um, you know, I also, I feel bad because access to what people are saying on the ice, you know, is, is awesome. Right. And I don't know what mic it was that we heard that on. I, yeah. I doubt it was his own mic that he would turn on when he was giving a penalty call. Um, but that kind of access is great for fans. And I wouldn't want to penalize a guy too much for giving us greater access. Exactly. And I'm a referee. I've ref ball hockey for 15 years. I've done all the clinics. I've ref higher levels up and down. And we've been in those situations where people see that. And, and it's, it's hard sometimes because if you've got a game where you're calling 10 penalties on one team and the other team hasn't had a single call, sometimes it's just that kind of a night though. And how do you explain that? And you're right. We're okay with it until it happens to our own team then we have a problem with it all of a sudden. So I agree. I think the punishment's a little harsh, sending him to early retirement, letting him know he's done. But at the same time, it's just like, if they didn't do that and there was very lenient punishment, what kind of criticism from fans and everything would they have been getting? Yeah, you know, I, I think the way I look at it kind of is just was bad luck. He said something that, you know, you don't want people hearing, even though what he said wasn't so bad. The fact that people heard it is what makes it really bad. So, um, you know, I, I felt bad for him for sure. Yeah.
Now, my last question before I let you go, we know lots of the greats have written books that you work with. Uh, James has written books. Um, Jay's written books. Have you ever had the inspiration to write a book? And if you did, which way would it lean towards your sports world or your mental health world or, or, or a mix of how they both combine? You know, I, I, have, uh, I have thought about that uh, a lot. Uh, I have thought about what I would like to do. Uh, I've also, you know, thought about the fact that I love to write. Um, of all the things I've ever done, um, writing from the heart is the best thing for me that I've ever done. Where I'm not saying it's the best thing that I, I, I'm not saying that what I did was amazing. I'm saying it felt amazing for me. This whole idea of, you know, like, like writing from the heart is a challenge, right? And you don't write from the heart if you're writing stories about your sports talk show. You don't write from the heart if you're talking about, you know, other people and their careers. You write from the heart when you're talking about something really precious and important to you. And to do that, you have to scrape, at least I do, have to scrape through layers of who I am to get to that point. You know, I'll write something about mental health and I'll realize that, okay, that's not nearly where I need to be to be able to tell this story. I need to, I need to rewrite that and I need to rewrite it with the idea in mind that I, I got to go way more personal, way deeper. You know, I got to try really much harder to, to have what's on the page reflect what's inside of me. So writing is, uh, is a total, uh, is, is something that I, I'd love to do, but also something that's incredibly um, challenging and exhausting because of how I see the way writing needs to be done. And the writing that I want to do, like I said, is not, you know, telling a story about a hockey game. The way I want to do it is I want to, I want to write something about, uh, about, about my experiences in particular with mental health um, that will make a difference in somebody else's life. And I couldn't use, you know, sports stories to, to talk about them. I could talk about how, uh, you know, Lennox Lewis was in our green room and I had a panic attack and I was sitting there watching pictures or looking at pictures. He was showing me from when he was a kid in Kitchener. And he was, he was saying, look at this, you know, I was only 12 years old. And I remember thinking, my God, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, I like, I, I, I got to get out of here or I got to scream. I got to do something. I was just, you know, it was one of my, my real low points with depression. And I, I, I can remember thinking to myself, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have the confidence in my ability to talk about my illness that I could look Lennox Lewis in the eyes and say, dude, you don't know what's going on in my head right now, but I feel really sick. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not doing well. So I just kind of sucked it up and went out and interviewed him and did a bad job. Um, you know, it was predictable. I asked, I asked a question that, <clears throat> I told the producer, uh, Bob Makowitz, that if I ever asked the question, what's your biggest thrill, that he should literally stop tape and come out and punch me in the head. Because that, you know, is kind of like, in most circumstances, it's a lazy question. It can, you know, it, it can be... It can be appropriate in sometimes, but sometimes it's just like, and I, I was desperate. I was desperate to find something to say because I couldn't focus on what he was saying. Yeah. So afterwards, I remember thinking, okay, well, you know, if I want to prove what depression feels like to me, it's asking the question, what's your biggest thrill? Yeah. It's kind of like your safety question when you're trying to pay attention, but there's so much going on in your head. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I haven't been listening for the past how long. What's your biggest? Yeah. yeah. And, and it was, uh, um, 
I mean, the fact that this was a long time ago now, um, you know, it shows you what kind of profound impact it, it had on me um, because, you know, I remember it. And I remember the whole Lennox Lewis experience of being in the green room. Like I said, and he was, I mean, he had watched Sports Desk, I guess, you know, uh, years before when I was doing Sports Desk. And he thought, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to show Landsberg pictures of when I was a kid, which is pretty cool, right, that Lennox Lewis is doing that. But I just, uh, I, I just remember thinking, oh, my God, I, you know, so badly want to run out of here. But I couldn't. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me this morning. This has been absolutely amazing. I welcome you back anytime. We've got Mental Health Month coming up in May. I know you are a very busy man. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this today. Well, people are in general not as busy as you think they are. Uh, and especially, uh, I mean, I am busy, but I, it all happens in my house, right? You know, I do a show from here every morning. <clears throat> you know, I give speeches from here once or twice a week. You know, I do uh, the video blog from here. Like everything is from my house, which means that you have way more time in your life to do more things because it, you know, it's all happening. You know, the only, the only variety I have in my life is um, I'm doing this for my kitchen table. But later today, when I, uh, when I have a conference call with people talking about mental health, I'll be at my dining room table. So that's the big variety in my life, kitchen table, um, dining room table. Uh, your questions were great. You have a very relaxed way, uh, very, um, I think, a way to make people comfortable. Uh, and you listen to what your guest is saying. So uh, I would be happy to come back uh, anytime you ask me, Caitlin. Thank you so much, Landsberg. Well, I hope you have a great day. I hope your day continues to be great. And I wish nothing but good days for you and good health for you and your family. And I would say right back at you. Nicely put. That, that's actually my, those are my lines you stole. Oh God, now I got nothing to say. I was going to say, you know, I hope you have a great rest of the day and I hope things are really good, health and happiness to your family. And now I can't say that. So I'll just say, thanks. Thanks for having me, Kilgore. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was a really, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, thank you. Now. Thank you so much, Michael Landsberg. I cannot thank you enough for joining us here on Desks and Dusters. What an amazing experience that was for me. Being able to interview someone I've idolized and watched on television, somebody that I dream of working with one day. How cool would that be? Kilgore and Landsberg teaming up. All right. You guys, we have been having some fabulous weather lately. I don't know where you are in Ontario, where you are in Canada. Maybe you're right here in North Perth, Southwestern Ontario, Midwestern Ontario. I don't know, but the sun's been out. The sky's been blue. I haven't seen a cloud in days until today, but that's spring. What are you going to do? We can't control the weather. We need some of that spring rain. We want some green grass. We want to start seeing some buds popping on the trees. So we're going to need some of that rain and I know the farmers are going to want it soon, too, eventually, once they start uh, planting and getting their crops ready. So we're going to have some new sales for you guys coming next month. Next month is a month that we are going to be focusing on environmentally friendly products. So lots of great stuff coming your way as well. More great, fabulous guests. You guys, trust me, I'm working on some more big ones, but I don't think we're ever going to have anyone as big and cool as Landsberg ever again. That was a great poll. Thank you so much, Landsberg, once again. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Desks and Dusters. Now, remember, you can follow PBJ Cleaning Depot on social media. Hit us up. Hit that follow button on Twitter, Facebook, 
like us on Instagram and like our posts. We've got some great stories. That's where you're going to find a lot of products that we have on sale, us doing demos of different products as well. You're also going to find a lot of our desks and dusters podcasts up on there, whether it's the audio and the visual, and you can always find desks and dusters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and CastBox. So remember everyone, just because it's gloomy outside doesn't mean it's got to be gloomy on the inside. So have a great day. Be nice to somebody. Hold the door open for someone. Pay for the person in front of you use Timmy's order. Hopefully it's not more than like $15 because who? what are you ordering at Tim's? Anyways, have a great day, everybody. And remember, smile, be nice to one another because it's a lot better to live with love in your heart than hate. Be sure to catch Desks and Desters on all your favorite podcast platforms like CastBox, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Join us for Desks and Dusters, your PBJ Cleaning Depot every other week.